Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. Please listen to episode 000, an introduction for the full backstory about this podcast series. On this episode, we have songwriter, musician, and Wilco's frontman, Jeff Tweedy. At the time of this interview in 1997, Tweedy was 30 years old and out on tour with Wilco and supported the band's highly acclaimed second record, Being There. In the interview, Jeff talks about bonding with his son while being a house dad, an encounter with a drunken self-entitled fan in Norway, getting the Beach Boys sound in the studio, and why one of the Kinks albums is an all-time favorite of his. On a side note, we also hear why after this podcast is posted, Peking, Illinois will be hitting the unsubscribe button to the Tapes Archive podcast. As always, we have music critic Mark Allen at the helm conducting the interview. If you'd like to support the show, please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. There, we post other content and information not available on the podcast. If you'd like to read the transcripts for any of our episodes, please head over to our website at thetapesarchive.com. We'll jump into the interview after a quick word from our sponsors. The Tapes Archive is proud to be sponsored by the true crime documentary, Dead Man's Line. You've got a hundred armed officers around here trying to get a shot at me. I dared them to shoot me. I didn't go down there to be a buffoon. I went down there for vengeance. And God God, I'll have vengeance. In 1977, Tony Karitsis kidnapped a mortgage broker and held him captive for three days. For the first time ever, the media was able to cover the event live. To some, Tony was a hero. To others, he was a crazed thug. Dead Man's Line. The true story of Tony Karitsis. This award-winning film is available exclusively on Amazon Prime. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. Jeff? Yes. Hi, it's Mark Allen in Indianapolis. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Just having a busy day, huh? Yeah, sorry. That's, uh, that's okay. It's not a problem. I'm, I'm sitting here doing other things, so uh, it's tough to be in demand, huh? Uh, <laughs> no, it's just, uh, I don't get over here very often to the office, so when I get over here, there's lots of stuff to do. I guess like every other critic in the world, I'll tell you, I really enjoy this record. I think it's terrific. And, oh, uh, um, and I was thinking uh, that the title um, is too short, and maybe that if you had a longer title, you would have called it, uh, Being There Would Be Infinitely Preferable to Being Here. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's sort of the message of uh, of the record, isn't it? Um, I don't know if there's a specific point or message. Uh, I think we might have had one in mind when we were still thinking about making it a single CD, but it felt better to have it kind of clouded up by the whole double thing, so I don't know. I want to ask you about some of the songs, and, and Kingpin really struck me a lot, and especially the, the rhyme of Dimatap and Spinal Tap. <laughs> and I figure that's another thing that's uh, that's sort of prevalent. You're you're kind of balancing the, the child thing and the and the, the rock star thing, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's it's um, it was a little easier making the record because we made it in Chicago, but now that we're touring a lot, it's a little harder, you know. So. I feel bad I'm gone as much as I am now. Mm-hmm. How old's your little boy? He's uh, just just a little over a year now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 
So just walk, starting to walk and all that. And all yeah, that. I'm starting to walk, talk, and getting his teeth and hilarious. Yeah, that is a, that's a good age. Yeah. Are a lot of these songs? I mean, were you, were you thinking about your son and the and the, the prospects of leaving him when you were when you were writing? I was thinking about the prospect of being a dad. Actually, when I wrote a lot of the materials before he was born, you know. Mm -hmm. And then a little bit, you know, a lot of the record was recorded right after he was born. So, um, yeah, it was definitely on my mind, you know. I've spent a lot of, lot of time, a lot of years thinking about one thing, particularly kind of monomaniacally directing all my energy towards music and just wondering if that was going to be a really horrible thing for uh, if I'd be able to switch gears enough to be a good dad, you know. Mm -hmm. And and have you? I think so. I mean, it's you know it's kind of ironic. You know, I felt good about it and kind of uh, kind of came to terms with it in a lot of ways, making the record. And now I'm it's you know I'm <clears throat> I'm back in the middle of it again because I have no choice. I'm like you know out on the road and it's really hard to to uh, just think about anything else. You know. Yeah, I miss him terribly, but it's like you're so immersed in it. Yeah, uh, you tend to I tend to stress out of it about it the same way I, I used to. You know, just just like uh, I like playing music a lot, but where I stress out about it is just wanting to get better and you know things like that, which really aren't important. Yeah, are are you um, so far the kind of dad you thought you'd be? Um, yeah, I think you know we're really. I mean. When I'm home, I'm home 24 hours a day generally, and we like. <clears throat> I think we've bonded quite a bit compared to a lot of like dads in the first year, and you know, been a kind of a house dad and doing all the feeding and changing diapers and things like that that I know my dad never did, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, dads are different these days. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, also, in Kingpin, are you saying living in Pekin? Pekin, Illinois. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I thought. And I thought, God, that's a strange thing to say. <laughs> have you uh, have you been to Pekin? Uh, no, I've never been to Pekin, but I just <laughs> kind of pictured it. You know, just uh, um, I don't know. I think the idea was uh, be great to be like a uh, big fish in a small pond. Yeah, that's not the small pond you want to be in, though. I, I think no, probably not. I think that's a real polluted gene pool there, myself. Yeah, but I, I, I used to. I lived and worked in Springfield for a couple of years, and I have a good friend who lives in Peoria, and so uh, I've been through Pekin a few times. Yeah, yikes. Well, <laughs> anyway, maybe I should have gone there. <laughs> that's okay. It's like uh, I've never yeah. been to New Madrid either, so. Yeah. <laughs> On uh, Out of Mind, how hard was, uh, you know, that which has an obvious Beach Boy sound, how hard was it to, to create that sound? Was it uh, as complex as uh, as everybody says that it was for the Beach Boys? Well, I don't think it sounds as good as the Beach Boys, for one thing. I uh, uh, No, it wasn't. It was a lot of fun. You know, uh, luckily we had access to that real echo chambers, and we had access to, uh, <clears throat> you know, several pianos. So there's like, um, and I think it's a lot easier for to do that now because uh, the 24 track recording isn't really what they had to work with. 
happened with Phil Spector recorded the Wall of Sound stuff, which you know is obviously the main influence on those Beach Boys recordings. It was every, all the musicians, like twenty of them, in a, in a single room, and recording on four track or eight track, and that's why it sounds better. You know, that's why it has all. That's why it is Wall of Sound. We kind of made a partition of sound. <laughs> How did you do it? I mean, was it routine, or is it, or is it something uh, different or special that you did? Um, I mean, we we were just honestly most of the recording we were just having a good time, and we do a song a day, and that song took us a day to do. We we set up in the morning with um, tracked it with two pianos, acoustic guitar, and drums for the basic track, and then we added uh, two more pianos, then. I think there's six piano tracks, two clavinet tracks, two bass tracks, uh, kettle drums, and then two sets of drums. Uh, we just just kept playing through it with different setups and, and piling stuff on top of the original take, and and then then we went and all sang in, in the bathroom. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you listen to it, it's pretty loose. It's a pretty loose thing, you know. Overall, I mean, we just thought it was fun you know it sounded fun we were matching it up against be my baby and every time we put be my baby on we go oh well we got like 75 percent of it right maybe <laughs> you know unfortunately i can't sing like ronnie Spector. you know right. that would have made it probably a lot better yeah well you know you say that about being loose i think the whole record feels loose i mean the the thing that i like about it so much is aside from changing styles um it just has the kind of we're going to go in and make you know the kind of record we want. And, you know we're not going to worry about about fashion or what's popular or anything like that. We'll just go in and record the kind of songs we want to record. Well, yeah, I mean, I think God, it's just so it's just so much easier that way. It's not like uh, uh, it just shouldn't be so hard. I don't think it should be so. I mean, it's really easy to think, wow, this is a really important record uh, for us, you know, career-wise, or you know, all those things, and then just. I can't take that kind of pressure. We have a lot more fun just thinking we're, we're, I mean, looking at the reality of it. You know, we get to make a record. We might as well enjoy it while it's happening and and do things that we've never gotten to do before or take advantage of the fact that we have some money to spend on, on the production of this. So let's go ahead and rent the goddamn Kungas if we want them, you know? <laughs> yeah, but that will... Was that always your attitude toward toward recording and the and the business? No, in the past I was I've always I've always felt like it's best to like just try and collect moments on tape and and it's kind of overwhelmed by the possibilities a studio presents to you. So always in in the past I've like definitely always felt like it should be loose and like a like a kind of a document of a, the time and place and and the songs you have at the time. But in the past the whole uh, like I think. The methodology was more to just play it live to eliminate all those possibilities and and hopefully get like a solid performance that doesn't need anything else. And very rarely, rarely would we do overdubs in the past, just because we wanted to keep it pure. And this time around, I it just it was really bored with doing that. And I was like, well, I don't care how pretentious it is or how stupid any of this stuff is. It's pretentious to make a record. It's pretentious to be in a rock band. It might as well revel in it, you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, but um, did you did you think about trying to recreate it live? And uh, can you recreate it live, or do you do you care to recreate it? No, live? I don't care to recreate it live. I mean, it's we play the songs live, and they they hopefully come across, but they're they come across in a different way, you know. Um, if we went to make the record tomorrow uh, with the same songs, I'm sure that a lot of them would be completely different. I mean, we tracked different versions of a lot of those songs that had nothing in common with the way the ones the versions that are on the record. Just like I think the idea is to get to a point as a musician, you're not like really thinking about being a virtuoso or anything, but just where you're comfortable like knowing what the song is and then adapting to how everybody feels at the time and like what the what the environment's like or adapting to like an audience is the same thing. Uh, uh, certain songs will have more of an edge than the record some nights. Some nights it might just be kind of lethargic because of fatigue, but hopefully always like just an honest uh, honest representation of what you're doing and thinking about at the time, you know. Yeah. Did you save... Um the alternate takes for the future box set? Uh, that's the next record, actually, yeah. the box set. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. A box set of all original material, though. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, th there are so many comparisons made between this and, and other records, and the one that I haven't read that really jumps out to me, I think, is uh, several of these songs remind me of Muswell Hillbillies by the Kinks. Is that a record you know? And, uh, I love that record. Okay. That's like one of my favorite records of all time. And okay. not, very, not very many people know about that record because when they think of the Kinks, they think, you know, like the early 60s, you really got me and all that stuff. But that's like my favorite period of the Kinks. Like uh, Everybody's a Star, uh, Muswell Hillbillies. Uh, Lola versus the... What's that? The, the album, uh, what is it, Lola versus the, the Power Man or whatever right. it's called. Yeah. Like that period when he was like... Uh, Kind of, kind of like getting into American styles, but at the same time writing these really ponty lyrics about you know, <laughs> being a rock star. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. So, so like, uh, uh, I'm sorry, sitting in my hotel on, uh, you know, that song. Um, it's on uh, Everybody's a Star. I haven't heard it in a long time. I haven't heard it in a while either, but I did the other day, and I realized that I probably ripped off the idea behind that song <laughs> in a, like. Maybe thirteen different instances on this. <laughs> when you sing, it's the end of the century. Just that, those words, and uh, on "Was I in Your Dreams," you sound like Ray Davies too. I think you know. Well, that's like ultimate flattery to me. I think uh, I think uh, Ray Davies is a pretty underappreciated like uh, songwriter, and the Kinks a pretty underappreciated band in the grand scheme of things. You know. I don't think they've ever really got their due, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, I, I agree with you completely. Same as, like, Mott the Hoople, too. There's a lot of English bands that, that since everybody seems to focus on Graham Parsons and Neil Young and all that stuff with us, I, I always find it really weird that it just makes me think that nobody has paid that much attention to the bands that really are, are probably more operative in describing Wilco, you know. Yeah, I would not have picked Mott, but, but I mean, the kinks, I, I just think, thought were pretty obvious. But uh, then again, you know, I've, I've said that to people, and they're like, I don't know that record. And you grew up in Belleville, right? Yeah. I mean, how do you know that, <laughs> that record? Did it make a... I mean, it's, it's weird. It, things like that didn't seem to make a huge impact in the Midwest. Well, I mean... Uh, it might not be like, you know, every kid in the, you know... 
I don't know. It, uh, records aren't like they used to be. The seed with the CD thing, God, damn near the history of recorded music is available to anybody anywhere, and it's just a matter of being interested in it. And I've been interested in it for interested in it for a long time. So by ridiculous buying ridiculous amounts of music to to try and find stuff that that keeps me going, you know. And some point in time, I don't remember when the, the kinks thing happened for me, and and I, I'm not. I always feel like I should try and find everything that you can by something that really inspires you that way. And Muscle Hillbilly's record really jumped out at me, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great because I, you know, I, I grew up in New York and and I've lived in Indianapolis for nine years. And when I talk about bands like like the Kinks, I, I get a lot of blank stares from people, you know. Yeah. And and uh, and living in Springfield, the same thing, you know. Just I'd, I, people come over and see my records, and, and I'd have all this stuff that they'd never seen or heard of before, uh-huh. which is uh, unusual. So. Well, I mean, you can't find it all. That's the best thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Red eyed and blue. Uh, I, that song reminds me of something, and it's just not coming to me. Is there a particular influence on there? I mean, uh, especially early on in that song, the uh, the, the verses. The the uh, the chord progression initially kind of it sounds like an Eddie Money song. <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of that. Oh, no, not really. I mean, we, that was like one of the songs we were just just playing, you know, just trying to like. Well, we liked it really was really sparse at the top like that, and it wasn't the kind of song we really felt like we could make it into a full band kind of thing. So just kind of created its own little universe. I don't know how, but, it, but I don't wasn't really thinking of anything specific. On most of the stuff, really, it was more like later recognizing that, that that sounds like this or that sounds like that. The only song that really set out to make it sound like something was the second version of Out of Sight or Out of Mind. The, the two discs idea, I, I just think that, that that was an absolutely brilliant idea because you like I think I've read where you said well we could have cut one song off and fit this on one disc but it's impossible to listen to to 70 minutes in a row isn't it it's not good for you no yeah. like <laughs> at some point during a, a 70 minute listen you're going to start thinking about all the things that you got to be doing <laughs> You know, and that's what was great about records, you know, like, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes on a side and then uh, you either listen to the other side or you get back to it in a couple of days and you know where you left off, you know. Mm-hmm. With CDs, if you listen to the first half, you never really go to the middle of the CD and start, uh, like, listening to the second second set, you know. It's like you get to make two sets out of it. And with doing two CDs, we kind of got to do that because it's more... Uh, it's more tolerable to listen to 35 minutes and then 40 minutes at a sitting. Yeah. Did the um, uh, how did that go over? Are the record company okay with that? And and does it cost a lot more to do it that way? Well, no, it doesn't cost that much more. CDs are really cheap to manufacture, um, but uh, we did a couple. I mean, that was the only thing we really had to debate was like how to make it uh, cheap. And we like the cardboard packaging. Surprisingly enough, was cheaper to do, and uh, we did. Uh, we took a royalty cut so we could make it cheaper. Oh, well, that was nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a percentage of nothing, so it's okay. <laughs> oh, really? You're, you're, that, uh, that, that, uh, you're expecting that to do that well? Yeah. 
<laughs> percentage of nothing. That's great. Um, uh, uh, there's obviously a lot of uh, talk and a lot of things have been written about this band and, and alternative country. And did did you deliberately try to get away from that on uh, on this record? Um, I, I'd, I'd be lying to say that we didn't talk about it a little bit, but more than than trying to get away from it, we were just. We never really saw ourselves as that, you know. We never, we never really thought that that was the goal or the idea behind the band, you know, was to be part of a country rock thing. You know, we felt like uh, we just didn't want to be afraid of. Uh, how to, I don't know how to put it. I mean, we just went into it saying more than we really want to get away from this. We were just saying we really want to like not think about that and 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 do things that we feel are, are honest to what we really like, you know? Yeah, because I, I mean, alternative country is, sounds cool, but from what I can see, it's not like uh, the hugest movement around. Plus, you know, you really don't sound very country or uh, uh, or alternative, really. It would have really, I think it would have really killed us and killed, like, uh, the whole the whole idea for us to, like, and maybe it would have been really easy for us in a way to go in and make a pretty straightforward record that just had like those kind of songs on it, like the Forget the Flowers and, uh, you know, whatever had a country element to it. I think we could have made a record, even off of just the stuff on the, on, on the double record, we could have probably put something together that fit into whatever idea they're trying to uh, proliferate as a, you know, being a movement, you know, but it wouldn't have been very satisfying for us. Yeah, besides being part of a movement, I don't think that pays off very well. I mean, I know that's not what you're looking for, but it's like, you know, movements are, are nice, but they die out. <laughs> and then you got to find your way back into the, you know, the, the kind of public consciousness again. I've always just admired bands that were bands, you know, that, right. that yeah, I mean, if it's, if you know, on a totally different level than just making the record, Wilco is definitely trying to distance ourselves from the whole notion that we're poster child, you know, poster kids for some alternative country rock movement. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, that's ridiculous. Who needs that? <laughs> exactly. Um, two other things, if I can, I'll, I'll let you go. Um, the, do you have any relationship with your uh, ex-bandmate in Sunvolt? Um, Mike? <laughs> sure, I talk to Mike occasionally. <laughs> no, that wasn't the person I met, but uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but not uh, not the other one, huh? Uh, I don't talk to Jay very often, no. Oh, okay. And uh, finally, for another story I've been doing, I'm, I'm asking everybody I interview, what's the, the strangest, funniest, oddest encounter that you've had with a fan? Oh, there's been pretty many bizarre ones. Uh... Um, uh, let me think. I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I've had a lot of weird ones that kind of relate to Uncle Tupelo since Wilco started, you know. I don't know how interesting that would be for your your article. No, I don't know. Go ahead, tell me one. <laughs> I had this woman come up to me after a show, and she had the Wilco CD, and she asked me to sign it, and I signed it, and 
and she asked me if I could get everybody else to sign it. And uh, everybody after a show is generally all over the place, you know, at the bar, or, you know, in the van or the bus. Or you know, so I like said, um, okay, and I went and tracked everybody down to sign this woman's CD. This isn't very exciting. No, go ahead. Anyway, I had it all signed up, and I brought it back to her, and I handed it to her, and she goes, you know, I really liked Uncle Tupelo a lot better than Wilco. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, fuck you. Give me that back. I'm going to give you one that's not signed, you know. <laughs> What's the point? I really liked what you were wearing yesterday a whole lot more than whatever you're wearing today. I really liked you, you like before you opened your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really liked you before you said something so stupid. <laughs> That's just incredible. That is just incredible. Oh, and then, uh, then there was some some other people like fans came up after that, and I was like still flabbergasted, you know. So I told them the whole story, mm-hmm. and uh, one of them said, "Oh, you must get that a lot." <laughs> You, know, you can all go to hell. <laughs> Leave me alone. Well, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you the exact opposite. I like I like Wilco a hell of a lot better than Uncle Tupelo. So. Uh, me too, man. I don't understand it. Just kidding. <laughs> well, I'm like happy with Uncle Tupelo. I'm happy people remember it and all that stuff. But you know, it's like I always want to feel like your best stuff's ahead of you, or like you know, it's just in, more in the moment than worrying about that. I had a similar experience in Oslo recently. <clears throat> we were playing, and people get totally out of their mind drunk when you play in Norway. There's this kind of uh, sort of upwardly mobile-looking middle, middle-aged man. Looked like he might have been a rock critic. I don't know. <laughs> Standing there, and we're playing, and he's, he yelled for uh, Sunken Treasure, you know, so we played it. And he yelled for The Lonely One. I was like, okay, so we played it. You know, we were doing a lot of songs. He yelled for a box full of letters. And we did a we did a waltz version of it, which we've been doing a lot lately, you know, like a slowed down kind of country version of uh, box full of letters, just to keep ourselves interested, you know. Then we went off and came back on, and before I could get on the stage, he stopped me and wanted me to sign his CD. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, I'm going up to play right now. Can you wait until we're done? He's like, no, no, sign now. <laughs> so I signed it, and he's like, no, to me, my, na- you know, my name is, I don't know, whatever, what his name was, like, huh, yeah. Sven or something. <laughs> and I was like, no, I, I'm sorry, I just signed my name. That's as good as he can get right now. We're like, everybody else is on stage waiting for me. So we go up, and we start playing some more songs, and we're in the middle of a song, and he walks up to the front of the stage. It's just like a, it was like a restaurant, really small, really low stage. He comes up and he goes, play a box full of letters. <laughs> and like, we just, we played it for you, man. We played every one of your requests. And he was like, no, you did not play it. I want an electric box full of letters because my box is only half full of letters. <laughs> oh, man. You're the most demanding person I've ever encountered in my life. Like, you, most people would be thrilled to get, like, one song played that they yelled out. That's for sure. Yeah. So, I just, <laughs> so then we, I sang, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow to him after I gave him a bunch of shit from the stage. 
I told the whole story right after that after that song on stage. I'm like, this guy here, <laughs> stand up, show everybody who you are. You know him. I mean, I'm sure you've seen him. He's been requesting songs all night. We've been accommodating this man all evening. He's still not satisfied. <laughs> so I sang, will you still love me tomorrow to him and sat on his lap. <laughs> oh, man. Good. He was like, he wouldn't talk to me afterwards. <laughs> Which I, I felt like that was a, you know, the, the desired effect. <laughs> That's just great. <laughs> Man, after all you did for that guy. Oh, no, that is funny. That is funny. Anyway, anything else? Uh, oh, I, there was one other thing I forgot to ask you. you your um, your uh, fiddle player left, right? And do you have somebody else playing? Uh, uh, we don't have a fiddle player, but we have uh, a guy who's traveling with us who's playing pedal steel and some national and uh, just some, you know, various string stuff to kind of create... Actually, the pedal steel helps a lot with the new material because it can kind of cover some of the organ parts and some of the more droney things that are happening on the record. And, and Jay switches off now between guitar and piano and, and organ, so we have those things live now, too. Uh, okay, and the, and the new guy's traveling with you. Who is he? He's Bob, uh, Bob Egan. He used to play in Freakwater. Okay, all right. And uh, anything else you want me to tell people that we haven't talked about? Um... Uh, we wear size 10 shoes almost across the board if they want to bring us some shoes. Okay. <laughs> do, do people bring you shoes? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. But I like shoes a lot. Okay. And any any particular uh, kind? Bruno Mollies? Those, uh, yeah. Those yeah. yeah. Versace. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Slip-ons. Mm -hmm. You know. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I actually do have a lot of shoes, but... Uh. Okay. No, I can't think of anything. All right, that sounds great. Listen, I appreciate your time, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'll see you next week. All right, take care. Thank you. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed. <laughs>